Now, if you have children between the ages of four and six, you may send them to children's worship training, where they will learn more about corporate worship and singing together, sitting together to hear the Lord's Word. They're also welcome to remain here with you as we turn together to the book of Galatians. Taking a brief break this morning from our series in 1 Samuel. It is Christmas Eve after all, so it is impossible not to think about Christmas and the birth of Christ. And this morning, I would like us to ask ourselves, what is Christmas really about? If you are observing the television and the news and society, you would easily see that Christmas is about sales and buying things and wrapping them. And of course, good cheer and good deeds and so many other things. Perhaps if you come from a background of attending church, you think of Christmas, you think of shepherds and of wise men and of angels, of cows and goats and mangers. But I would put it to you that the text we are going to look at this morning is a great encapsulation of the entirety of the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story is about more than the birth of Jesus Christ. It is a birth with a purpose. Jesus was sent to do a work which he has accomplished for our blessing. Those of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you would please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We pray the Lord will preserve my voice through the use of some water and the Holy Spirit and maybe a bit of energy. And let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The word of the Lord is perfectly inerrant. The word of the Lord is perfectly sufficient. And the word of the Lord is perfectly authoritative. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Praise be to the Lord for his word. Let's now ask for the Lord's blessing upon his word to our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you This morning, for you, O Lord, have the words of life. You have not only written your scripture for us, but by the power of your spirit, you illuminate it for our hearts. Please open our eyes, O Lord, that we might see Jesus. Open our hearts, O Lord, that we might love the Lord Jesus. And in loving the Lord Jesus, 
Open our hearts wide, Lord, that we might love one another, that we might seek to see your church built up, your gospel proclaimed, and the Lord Jesus Christ exalted. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. This passage from Galatians, as we have said, has no shepherds. There is no angel announcing a birth. There is no manger, no inn, none of the typical accoutrements of the story of Christmas. <coughs> but it is the story of Christmas. It is how God sent forth his son and how the son was sent forth for us. This is what we need to know this Christmas. We need to know who Jesus is and why he came and what the blessed benefit is to us who believe on Jesus. Paul is speaking not just to the Galatians. He's speaking to you and to me. To stir up in us faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit we might be drawn to the blessed Savior. To know who he is and what he has done for us. So let's begin this morning by looking at the fact that God sent forth his son. We see in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It was exactly the right time. God knew this time was right. This is when time itself was full. The word here for fullness is delineates a completeness of time. That this is exactly the right moment for Jesus to arrive. And what this tells us is that Christmas is not an accident. Now, we can have discussions and even debates about whether Jesus was actually born on our calendar date of December 25th. But that, I think, is not the point here. The point here is that the birth of Jesus Christ was an actual historical event rooted in history. He was born in a real place at a real time to a real family. He became man. And God was not waiting, trying to respond to the world, hoping to catch up to sin. No, God was not surprised at anything that happened. And this is because God is sovereign. God knew exactly the right time. There is a divine purpose in the time of Christmas. We might even say that time itself exists for this purpose. That time is fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. The first advent makes time complete. God knew it was the right time, and he had prepared the world for it. The world was ready at just the right time. It was a time of uncommon peace in the world, known as the Pax Romana. There was a time of peace throughout all the empire, through the known world. There was not a complete absence of fighting, but from one end of the empire to the other, there was, generally speaking, peace No war. It was an opportunity for people to pay attention to what was going on. Their lives were not being turned upside down by violent and vicious war. 
It was a time that was perfectly suited to the spread of the story of the birth of Jesus. Roads were built by the Romans. Roads which still exist today, 2,000 years later, that would carry missionaries from the Holy Land all the way to Italy and to Spain. That would spread the good news of the coming of a Savior. God had prepared the world. It was also the time (coughs) of a near universal language in the world. Almost everyone in the empire spoke Greek. And so when the story of the birth of Jesus Christ was written down in the Gospels, it was the perfect time to disseminate that story, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, throughout the known world. Because everyone could speak or read or at least understand some Greek. And of course... It was also a time in which the Jews had been dispersed throughout all of the empire. There were many synagogues throughout all of Europe and the empire. And this is important because the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies that these synagogues taught and preached. (coughs) The world was also ready because the Gentiles were wearying of paganism. They were realizing that the gods that they worshipped were not real gods. That they were not real helps. That they were silent. That they were inactive. That they were not true and living gods. On the other hand, the Jews had become weary of all of the law keeping. Of all of the burdens that had been placed on them by the Pharisees and by others. How keeping the most minute of laws brought them no satisfaction, no hope, no sense of being closer to God. The world was ready. Jesus himself knew that it was the time. Throughout his entire ministry, Jesus was keenly aware of his sense of calling and time. He would consistently say, his time had not yet come. When someone would ask him what was going on, or when the crowds would come about him, his time had not yet come. (coughs) And so Jesus knew that his hour had come. When I think of the sense of time and the perfect nature of it, I think of the parable of the talent, of the of the tenants, excuse me, in Mark 12. You remember that story? in which the owner of the land keeps sending messengers to the tenants to tell them that he's coming and to be ready for his coming. And over and over again, they are rejected and thrown away. And then finally he says, now is the time I will send my beloved son. Surely they will hear him. You see, God had sent his prophets over and over again. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea. They had brought the good news of God's grace. But now, finally, the time was perfect and Jesus has come. But you know also, it is the right time for you now, today. You are here now in God's providence. You may be here because of a family tradition or we're all getting together to go to church. 
But you are here now to hear the story of the Lord Jesus Christ who was sent by the Father with a purpose. All of your existence revolves around that time. Everything that you will know for all eternity revolves around your relationship with the one who was sent. Do you believe on him? Do you trust him? Do you find your hope in him and what he has done? It's not just the right time. But God sent forth also the right person. Paul tells us that God sent forth his son. Jesus was sent on a mission. Sent forth has the connotation of being dispatched on a mission. Being sent for a purpose. He's not just wandering into the world. It doesn't just happen to occur. No, Jesus was sent with a purpose. (coughs) And who is Jesus? Well, Paul tells us that God sent forth his son. Over 40 times in the New Testament, the phrase, the son of God is used. And at each occasion, it points To the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So who came was God himself in the person of Jesus. This is critical for us to realize. John puts it this way. These are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that by believing. You may have life in his name. Jesus is God himself. Come to redeem a people. Is this what you think about when you think about the baby in the manger? You see, Jesus who comes makes demands on us. He is God. He is the creator. He is not just to be observed. He is to be obeyed. Jesus is God, and Jesus is also, Paul tells us, man. He is born of woman. This tells us that Jesus had a true humanity. Throughout the Old Testament, this phrase, born of woman, indicates that someone is really a human being. Now, this phrase doesn't unpack for us everything about the virgin birth. But I want to remind you that this same Apostle Paul that we follow throughout the book of Acts had a certain traveling companion. You recall him, Dr. Luke. Now, could you imagine as they traveled from city to city and place to place what they would talk about and what they would do? Could you just imagine sitting on, beside the fire as they talked about Jesus and theology and the prophecies? You don't think Paul knew about Luke 1, 34 and 35, in which the virgin birth is expressly set forth? Now, I don't mean that Luke handed him a copy of the gospel he was writing and said, read these verses. But I mean the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is God, but he's also truly man. And this is a blessedness of the Christmas story for us. It's where the Christmas story can help us. Because we see Jesus humble and lowly. And that helps us to identify with him. 
Now, but what we have to do is we have to look past Jesus' poverty. I know that there is a sense of sentimentality as we think about a, a barn or animals that might smell or straw in the manger and how there was no room in the inn and how he wasn't born in a palace and all of these things in which we could say to ourselves as middle-class Americans, we live better than Jesus did. But that's not the focus of how Jesus was humbled. You see, the true humility of our Lord Jesus Christ is he came and took on flesh and dwelt among sinful men, and was sinned against, and lived a perfect life, and was tempted in all ways like we are, except without sin. You see, Jesus gave up his rights to dwell among men, to be truly man. It's good for us this Christmas to think like Jesus. Because you see... If we're honest with ourselves, as modern Americans, it is a great temptation for us to think more of ourselves than we ought. We're the best, we're the brightest, we're the smartest, we've got the best stuff. And we're reminded of that at Christmas as we exchange the best of things with one another. How much better to be like Jesus and to think less of ourselves Now, let me be clear here. It has been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Putting others before you. That's who Jesus is. He is the right man, the right person at the right time. And he also comes to complete the right work. Paul puts it this way in verse 4. He was not only born of woman, he was also born under the law. Now this phrase reminds us that Jesus came to do what we could not. Because after all, Adam was born under the law. And he failed and sinned. And was cast into an estate of sin and misery with all of his progeny after that. Now, I think sometimes it gets into our fancy as modern people. That if only we would have had the shot that Adam had, we wouldn't have messed it up. We would have listened to God. So maybe if that's true, maybe we could pretty much keep the law. Now, I want to remind you that Adam did not have a difficult upbringing. He didn't have cranky parents. He didn't have the stress of providing an income. He didn't have the stress of other people sinning against him. He was born in a perfect estate. Everything was to Adam's advantage. And yet he fell. Because you see, Adam, like we, cannot keep the law. If you are here this morning thinking that you're pretty good and, you know, I probably get an 80 to an 85 on the law scale. And I'm really hoping God grades on a curve because I know there are people out there getting 30s and 40s. So all I got to do is keep my head down, work hard, 
And that'll get me across the finish line. I've got bad news for you. There's only one grade according to the law. Perfect, personal, 100% obedience. Not only in actions, but in all your words. And wait for it. In every thought that you have. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm honest with myself. I can't make it an hour without sin. Do we honestly think that we can keep God's law perfectly? No, we can't. But that's where we look to Jesus. Because Jesus perfectly kept the law. Now, what does that mean? Let's just think about it broadly in terms of the Ten Commandments. It means that Jesus always honored the Father. It means that he only sought the glory of God and not his own glory. It means that he always honored the name of the Father. (coughs) He always kept the Sabbath. He always honored his parents. He never unjustly did violence to anyone. He was always pure. He never took anything from anyone unjustly. He never once lied. And he never sought something that someone else owned. Ever. In thought, word, and deed. But Jesus came not only to give us his righteousness. He came to take upon himself our curse. What we were due, he took upon himself. And this is the reason for the advent. This is that the Son was sent for us. The first thing that Paul tells us is that Jesus was sent, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, I don't want you to have in your mind that this is some sort of cosmic rescue. As if we were in trouble and Jesus swooped in like a superhero to rescue us from the trouble that we were in. No, the language is better fitted to the slave market. The word redeemed referred historically at this time to going into the slave market and purchasing a slave so that the slave might be set free. You see, we have earned our punishment. We are justly condemned by our actions, our thoughts, and our words. This is why Jesus came. Beloved, Jesus did not come to be cute. Jesus came because we need him. To redeem us from sin and death. We were the ones who were under the law and therefore under its curse. And now the law has no more hold on the believer as a power of condemnation. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And this shows us the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. To be honest, we can't think about Christmas without looking to Easter. And Easter is made possible by Christmas. You see, Jesus was born to fulfill a mission. He was sent by the Lord with a purpose (coughs) (coughs) 
to redeem for himself a people. Now, this is a challenge for us this time of year. Because for many of us and for most of the world around us, they're willing to see the cute baby Jesus in the straw. Because he's not threatening. They can stand above him. Look at him. He makes no demands. But Phil Riken, I think, puts it well. He says, Christianity is not a religion of stable and straw, but of thorns and nails, wood and blood. You see, Jesus came and was born to redeem a people. Are you weary today? Has this year been hard for you? Do you wonder what the purpose of everything is? Hear that in the Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose of everything is in your glorifying God and being united to him, being redeemed from your sins, set free, that you might be all that God has created you to be, that you might fulfill your purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But Paul goes on. It's not just that we are redeemed by the coming of Jesus. We might think of that in its negative sense. Jesus takes away our guilt. But there is also a positive sense. That is, we are received, we receive the adoption as sons, Paul says. We are gathered into a family. Now, this is a built-in illustration for a preacher at Christmas. Because you all know exactly what that's like to be a part of a family. Some of you have traveled thousands of miles, hundreds of miles, to be with family, to sit around the dinner table, to sit in the living room, to be with one another, to sing songs, to tell stories, (coughs) to be in a place of belonging. But I want to say to you that even if that doesn't describe your holiday, because for some of us, We long for family. We long for belonging. We feel like we're always on the outside. We long for hope. Jesus gives us that hope. Because he makes us a part of the family of God. Jesus came not just so we would be free from sin, but so that we would belong. So that we would be gathered to him. To have a family. Now. To be adopted in the days of the New Testament. Was about more than just being a part of a family. Oftentimes, Those who were adopted into a family were adults. And they were adopted. So that they would receive the inheritance. Of the one who had adopted them. And so we must understand that aspect of this as well. You see, we are brought in, adopted as children, and we receive the inheritance that Jesus has purchased for us. Jesus has purchased an inheritance that is ours because we are his. That inheritance is imperishable, the Bible tells us. It is unfading. It is reserved in heaven for us. We also cannot forget what it means to be adopted and be no longer a slave. The slave obeys the master from a sense of fear 
and duty. He completes his duty because he is afraid of what the master might do or might think. But the son is completely different. The son looks to the father in love and knows that their relationship does not depend on his performance. But rather, instead, it depends on the bond of relationship that they have. And this is what Jesus brings for those who believe in him. We are no longer on the treadmill of life. We're no longer trying to eke out an existence to please God, wondering if everything we do is pleasing to him or whether he's going to strike us down. No, Jesus brings us to the, to the Lord our God. He brings us to God and unites us to him. And we are free from fear. We have that freedom in Jesus. Thirdly and finally, the Son was sent for us not only to redeem us, not only to adopt us, but to have a relationship with us. You see, God wants us to know him. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to build that relationship. To take away all of the barriers to our relationship. Our sin, our wickedness, our self-centeredness. And to bring us to God. And Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit is sent as a pledge of that relationship. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, we did not receive a spirit of slavery or of fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit brings this personal connection between us and God. It comes into our hearts, this relationship. It's not detached. That's why we cry out. We see this in children, don't we? Have you ever seen a two-year-old or a three-year-old relate to being moved away from mom? What does that child do? Ah! Ah! Stretches out, cries out. It can't imagine life apart from mom, even for 30 seconds. That's the kind of relationship that we are to have with God. Where we cannot bear for a moment to be from his side. Abba is a term of endearment. Now, some of you may have heard that Abba is often baby talk, like dad-dad or daddy. I don't think the language bears that up. But it is a term of great intimacy. And you know what that is. In your family, maybe it's dad. Maybe it's pops. Maybe it's even father. But it's a term loaded with intimacy and relationship. And the Spirit brings that into our hearts that we might connect 
with the Lord our God. There is something else here that we may miss because English fails us. Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And the problem with the word you is that we can read that and think, if I can take liberty of the Texas translation of Galatians, we think, and now all y'all are sons. But that's not what the text says. We have to actually go back to the King James to get the sense of it. Thou art a son. It's intimate. It's individual. Now stop and think about that for a moment. The cosmic nature of the coming of Jesus Christ. All time is split in two by the coming of Jesus. B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, not after death. Don't make that mistake. The way we reckon time is split by the coming of Jesus. The world was changed forever by the coming of Jesus. And yet the coming of Jesus is not just cosmic. It is for you. You are a son. You are a daughter. Because Jesus has come. Think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done you. That the Father sent him to redeem you, to adopt you, and to have a relationship with you. And think about the gospel of Matthew that begins with the genealogy and the story of the birth of Christ, the one who was sent. And where does Matthew's gospel end? It ends with those who have been bought by the blood of Christ being sent out into the world to tell the story of Jesus. That his name might be exalted. That others might know him and believe on him and worship him. This is the glorious story of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that your word is powerful and living. And how your word is so much more effective than the weakness of your servant. Lord, I pray that you would have your word take deep root in our hearts. That we might praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there are any here within the sound of my voice that are not sure who Jesus is, not sure why he came, not sure why he matters, Lord, I pray you would not let go of them. But instead, O Lord, you would impress upon them the great work that you have done in sending your son, that you sent him for a purpose, that a people might be redeemed, that we might be freed from our sins, and that we might be adopted into a family. And I pray, O Lord, That you would bring faith where there is none. This we ask in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.